I'm R.J. Bell with the sports betting headlines for Wednesday. Knicks win, Knicks cover, but still the Atlanta Hawks are favored to win the series in advance. The Heat tonight down 0-2 in a must-win spot. They're underdogs in the game, but they're favored in the first half. This is a Vegas secret that we'll clue you in on. And tonight's biggest game, Suns and Lakers tied 1-1. Lakers 6.5 favorites in the game, but the Suns' odds to win the title have plummeted. Here comes a four-hour of the Vegas truth covering all that and more. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. This is Straight out of Vegas. With the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it, I'm R.J. Live on a Wednesday, live in Las Vegas, live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. We got the recaps, we got the previews, we got some Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I don't want to talk about it, but I'm being forced to. They have me here, and they're manipulating. No, no, no. We'll talk about it, but I think we'll approach it from a different angle, as we typically do. Sports bettors listen for the money. Sports fans listen to no more than their buddies. I'm the pro. He's the Joe in L.A., Jonas Knox. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which we have three more NBA playoff games coming up. We've also got a couple of uh, fan altercations that we might get into. But what is the Vegas lead here on this Thursday? You know, let's start with this fan stuff. Because uh, I wasn't planning on it, but you hit it. And I'd say, you know, let's get this out of the way. Because to me, and I want to hear your thought, to me it's pretty simple. Anyone that could think, oh, yeah, you should be able to pour things on people, it's absurd. <laughs> it's wrong. It should be, uh, there should be a consequence. If it was on the street, like we said, I don't think we live life always thinking, well, what would happen on the street? But obviously, as Westbrook you know, expressed, hey, if we were on the street, you know, what would happen to that guy? And it's like, yeah, probably right. And <laughs> almost certainly right. But the fact of the matter is, it was wrong regardless of the street or not the street. And I don't think anyone thinks otherwise, like any reasonable person. Yeah. So now the question becomes, why is it such a big story? Because what I know is if you take an action from a single person or a small group of people and you try to extrapolate that out to the group they're in. So in this case, it's fans are the ones that are going to be held accountable for this one person's action. Well, it seems like then we need to have some type of reporting on every fan that didn't do it. And I think anyone that follows politics can kind of listen to this and say, huh, okay, I kind of see this where a crime happens somewhere. And then some groups want to say, see, that one person is representative of this whole community. And that's, that's the problem. I think a lot of people object to that, rightfully so. Now, what gets complicated is when the individuals are representative. And in this case, I don't think it's true. 
I do not believe that most fans want to physically assault or humiliate players. They just spent a lot of money to go to that game. The other side of it was, well, fanatics, right? Fans are fanatics. He got all worked up. If he didn't care that much about the game, he wouldn't be paying that much money. So we got kind of got to deal with it. I think there's some truth to the fact that fans are fanatical and the passion is a wonderful thing. It just can't be expressed in this way. To me, I'm not sure what else there is to say. What I know is it feels like everyone has to get up and say how horrible it is to feel good. And it's like, yeah, it's obvious. What do you think? Well, I just, uh, I've lost all faith in humanity. I thought once we got... Because of, because I, of this? Well, because I of thought, this? I, well, there's a couple of instances. So you had fans leaving the Warriors game early the other night. You had a fan spitting on Trey Young at MSG. You had a fan dumping popcorn on Russell Westbrook. You've got brawls at Major League Baseball games. A Dodger fan... So uh, people fight, this, is what yeah, you're saying. Pe- pe- people brawling. And I just, I was under the impression that once we were locked up in the house having to watch Tiger King and and the Michael Jordan documentary (laughs) that when we were allowed outside that fans were going to be like, you know what? I really have a true appreciation of this now. And now we're back to the same old thing. People are spitting on athletes. Part part of the problem is the (laughs) concept of we're allowed outside. I I think a lot of people are going to have a problem with that. Um, I also think the following. I don't know. I I don't know this guy from Adam. I don't know if his name. I know they've kind of identified him. I know that... uh, the venue or, or the Sixers have done something, I guess. But my question is this, and, and, and listen, this doesn't excuse it, right? You can have a minute of rage, murder someone, and you're going to pay for it the rest of your life if you get caught, no doubt. But it didn't feel like some premeditated thing. So to no. some degree, if it was a, a moment of irrational hate or irrational emotion, yeah, you still pay the price. But I don't think it even speaks to this person. Like, if this person were my brother, he's not. If he were, I don't think, well, I don't have a brother, so there you go. Is If it were my brother, I would feel ashamed about it. I would hate it. I would be mad at him. But I wouldn't write him off. I wouldn't say he's irredeemable. So even if this one person who did this egregious thing, like, do you write your brother off if he did this? No, but I wouldn't put it past him. Okay. I I mean, I suspect (laughs) it, but you know, but what I'm saying is it's horrible. It's one person that had one moment. He should pay the price for it. That's what the society does. uh, Any society of laws and and justice. And then we move on. I don't think it says all humanity is bad. I don't think it says that all fans are crazy. I think it says this one fan for this one moment Got kind of crazy, though. Again, if he th- if he dropped an anvil from above, <laughs> now it's a murder charge. Now it's like he's crazy, and it was just a moment. But you know what? He's got to pay because people do go to jail for. I mean, listen, one stoplight you go through, you had three drinks. Look, I, you know, I don't. You know, you look at the Coach Reed's son situation. I haven't followed it every step of the way, but it seems like that's progressing to yeah. his uh, legal jeopardy. Is that how you see? I've seen yeah, it, Joe. The, the last I saw, he's in. Uh, he's in some trouble. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. going. Yeah. So all that. I'm not insight. I don't have the insight to say how much trouble he should be in, but I'm pretty sure he didn't intend to hurt anyone. I'm pretty sure it was a. And again, maybe he has a history of this. I don't know. But either way, even if it was just a moment and one extra drink. He might have to pay for it with years and years of his life. Our society's pretty tough on people that make mistakes. I don't think, though, we have to extrapolate it out to all of society. 
And and thus, I, I it probably was a good conversation, but I find it to be particularly egregious. And I guess because it's the work, you know, you can get into a couple ways. It's the workplace. It's also if you're getting hit from something where you don't know what's coming from, you don't know what it is. So, like, the idea that it could be a battery, you hear that in wrestling back in the day, that you should throw batteries at people. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, we could say, has society gotten better? Because what would the media have said if this guy threw a battery? Like, it would be like we'd have to stop the world to talk about it. And it seemed to have happened a lot 50 years ago. Does that mean it was okay 50 years ago? No. It means we've improved. That... To some degree, if you look at every 100 years, it does feel like in that time, or every 50, we as a civilization improve. And I know the way to keep improving is to keep having a higher standard. But I do think if you're blaming a lot of people for the actions of one person, it doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum you're on, you're probably making a mistake. Final word. Yeah, and I feel bad for the fans at MSG because if you if you look at every sporting event that we've seen, they all have something in common except for Madison Square Garden. The fans are still a ways up from the players. They're a ways up from the action. You watch a Knicks game, they're surrounding the sidelines like it's the old days, like back before COVID. So it looks like an actual normal MSG game back in, in 2019. And so you've got all these fans there, 99.9% are behaving they're giving Trey Young a hard time. They're, they're teasing him a little bit. And then you get one guy that spits on somebody, and then he gets thrown out. And it just it just makes the Knicks, it makes Knicks fans look bad. And, and I feel bad for those fans that were behaving and having a good time. I just got a text that says, Jonas is perpetuating this, isn't he? No, listen, <laughs> I'm not saying that. I mean, I just held up my hand and acted like it was a text. <laughs> you know, it just dawned on me <laughs> that we have a radical in-house. I'm a lot of- What's your take on this? I think it should be treated as an assault. Arrest the guy, let him, you know, pay the fine or whatever, and ban indefinitely. It should be treated a little more seriously, I think, than it was. By whom? Who didn't treat it? Now, listen, I know, I know you like to seem extreme. <laughs> Who didn't treat it seriously? My understanding right now is he's banned indefinitely. Now, should should they have to? decide for life instantly let's let's assume he's in the stadium next or in the arena next year it's probably a problem i think it would be a sign that they didn't take it seriously but if you force people to act with you know i don't listen johnny cochran was a great attorney but the idea of a rush to judgment i think we've seen it with various things in the last few years and i think the oj case kind of hurt the whole anti-rush to judgment because it was like well he seemed guilty and we waited and he didn't get any penalty so you know for the on the criminal side i do think the idea of rushing to judgment is a mistake if you're dealing with now in this case you're dealing with a guy's right to go to a game so maybe you do say hey he's banned for life and he can review we can uh you know, it can be reviewed in five years. Then maybe you rush your judgment, but you give them an out on the other side. Maybe that would have been better PR-wise. But come on, how much different is it? And it's all happened, what, within the last 12 hours? Yeah. And also, isn't it up to the people that were quote-unquote assaulted to press charges? And I Legally. But the venue can say, hey, that action is, is yeah. unacceptable here. Right? And that's all we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about the legal case for it. Um, it's interesting. If that's going to be an assault, when players swing at each other on the court, I know the league <laughs> right. gets serious, but isn't that right. even more of an assault? 
Yeah, no, it's and I, I get it. In a way, it's in the play of field. I, I listen. I'm always inclined to think that the extreme cases are, are, are too extreme. I'm always looking to say, yeah, but, but to some degree, this is just plain wrong. It's easier to be kind of ruthless about it when the consequence isn't that bad. You don't want to rush your judgment with the death penalty. Let's agree to that. On the other extreme, not being able to go to a basketball game is probably as you know, innocuous, as, as inconsequential as you can get with this kind of thing, maybe rush to judgment a little bit and give it an out. If it ends up there's some other thing, if Westbrook somehow was, uh, you know, trolling him on Twitter and messing with his sister, okay, we can reconsider it. But we got no indication of that. And my very good bet is there's nothing like that. And thus, eh, maybe we should rush to judgment. Any closing thoughts? Uh, Mr. Lefty? <laughs> I would co-sign with that. And talking about the evolution of society, it wasn't that long ago that fans and players were just swinging at each other in the malice in the palace. So we've, it's not as bad as that. <laughs> you know what's funny is um, there's a famous, like when Sinatra was really old, and like he was just about you know, to pass away, he got a Lifetime Achievement Award, and he was talking you know, getting the award, but they played him off where the music started <laughs> and Sinatra was getting played off. That when, when Mackenzie goes too long, I'm I might just play him right off the stage. What do you think of that, Jens? <laughs> I mean, if you he's like okay that? with it. I mean, if it, I mean, you don't. Well, that's the whole Mackenzie point. Off. They don't have anything yeah. to say about it. Yeah, I mean, because Sinatra, they would have never done that till it was 80, and then. That was the thing on, it wasn't Twitter at the time, but everyone's like, oh my God, imagine if that had happened back in the old days, what would have happened? Yeah, but McKenzie's our close contact to Kyle Shanahan, so we don't want to burn the bridge. Yeah, that does me no good. All it did was cost me money in the last case. (laughs) And you're not mobbed up, right? No. Yeah, see, we're fine. We're fine. (laughs) All right, so Jonas hijacked the show. I'm not going to say that necessarily, but in fact, I like that topic. I thought we touched on some good things. But what we'll do when we come back is get to the Vegas lead. And what is that? It's going to be a preview, Vegas-style Lakers-Suns. He's R.J. Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I'm RJ Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. Coming up here in just a couple of moments, we will take a look at game three between the Lakers and the Suns. You know, Jonas, I was thinking about our talk about the fans and all that. So with Trey Young, with him and the shushing and the bring it on, does that in any way, because in wrestling they used to, or they call it uh, the heels, the bad guys, would draw heat. And the thing was, you wanted to get the crowd all rabid. You wanted to get the crowd all worked yeah. up. And that was a sign of engagement, emotional engagement. But, hey, you make someone mad enough, it leads to other things, like spitting, perhaps. So, obviously, fans shouldn't be spitting on players. Do you believe the fact that it feels like Trey Young has taken on the role of the heel, of the bring it on, it doesn't excuse it at all. But is that a road that you think the players should avoid? 
Well, no, I actually think this is good for Trey Young. The spitting? Well, his brand. The fact that you can generate that type of reaction from fans their first time back in the building, it shows that you're somebody. It's like Reggie Miller. You can, if you were Mm -hmm. to ask somebody, what's the most memorable moment of Reggie Miller's career? It's got to be the stuff at Madison Square Garden. Like that. That's what first thing that comes to mind. And so to see Trey on that level, I actually think is good for his brand and, and the level of interest in him as a player. And Reggie Miller, you could say, um, fueled that with his yeah. back and forth with Spike Lee. Yeah. Is, is that a fair way yeah, to say? It, you 100%. think? Okay. Yeah. yeah. That you know, for whatever reason, that felt more innocent. I guess as time passes, things seem less and less innocent. I guess maybe even as you get older. But it, it I thought the energy was amazing. I also think though it, it could borderline on erupting, and. That's the wild thing. If you told the NBA, we're going to have Madison Square Garden, the rafters shaking, as you've heard, and it's going to be right on the cusp of something, but it doesn't happen. That cusp doesn't get passed. They'd say, sign us up. But then you say one more percent, and it results in an assault or whatever. Then it's like, no, no, no. And that's you're playing with fire, right? And that's always the argument politically if there's an extremist on either side with the incendiary uh, speeches and the, you know, it, it, the energy is something they want. The results, though, and, and that's the question, is to what degree is a speaker, is a politician responsible for so, so That's interesting. Imagine the Knicks after the game said, someone's got to stop Trey after game one. They got to stop that Trey Young. We got to stop him. Someone's got to stop him. You see the way he acted in the crowd? So let's say he's having a normal reaction, intense reaction, this player, but he uses phrases like stop him and phrases like, do you see the way he disrespected the crowd? Now, if some fan did something, you know, more, you know, more extreme, would they make the case that the player caused it by inciting it? These are very complicated issues, I think, especially when so much emotion is involved, which is what the NBA wants up to a point. Yeah, and, uh, you know, them chanting Trey is balding, not the nicest <laughs> thing in the world. You know, not the nicest thing in the world. So they were getting oh, on I loved him, it. Uh, yeah, they were getting you know, on that was in throughout. that was in the handouts of the fans walking yeah, in the stadium. <laughs> they were instructing them what to say. But right. apparently it wasn't – it was because the F Trey Young, they didn't want them to say. Yeah. And apparently when they were saying after Trey Young, they would play the music extra loud to try to drown it out. Yeah, it uh, MSG did. Yeah, they were. Uh, I think they're still a little rusty on how to interact with players because they haven't been able to do it in so long. So now they're trying to figure their way through this whole thing. But I, here's the, the last question on the brand front. Does he ever get away? Does, do opponents from here to the end of his career say F. Trey Young? Meaning the fans, is that going to be the chant in 10 years? I'd make a T-shirt out of it. I swear to God. <laughs> I, I would make his company, I, whoever, whoever represents him right now, strike an endorsement deal and make a T-shirt out of that. Because I, think, I really think that would be massive, a massive success. And last question for me, not anything about Trey Young himself, but let's say a typical player in that in the current circumstances between the game last night and then game three, how much is he thinking about the X's and O's? How much is he thinking about winning that game? And how much is he thinking about that brand? You know, this could be something you play it right leads to another hundred million in shoe deals the rest of his career. Is that on his mind in a heavy way? You think? 
And well, yeah, it probably. But I think he. I mean, he played pretty well last night. He wasn't. Well, he know, went it, over the the point total. Yeah, I'll tell you that did. much. Yeah, I didn't want to bring that up. But I, no, I also, we always bring it up. We lose, win or lose, baby, we bring well, it up. I also think that it's going to spark, you know, the Atlanta crowd to want to step up their game because now yeah. they're going to want to rally around their guy and support their guy, and I just wonder what that does to that game and what effect it has. But you've there. seen those crowds in Atlanta. It's not yeah, quite not, the same. Yeah, not great. Not great. <laughs> I mean, I'm going by the old TBS days maybe, but, you know. Um, to me about that Trey Young, we liked the under in the game, and it was a loser. But there's a lesson to be learned from that, and it's probably worth taking a second with it. You can be right about a lot of things in a handicap, but if you're wrong about one big thing, it trumps it all. And to me, it was Trey Young didn't want to recede in the background. If this were a normal regular season game and we had all the reasons we thought the Knicks would want to stop him no matter what, it probably would have been a good handicap. But on this national TV stage, to still be discussed, even if he would have went you know, 7 for 28 he would have rathered that than gone five of seven, you would think. And it seemed like to me, but you could also make the case, hey, when you're Kobe, when you're Michael, when you're Trey Young, you don't let the other team dictate. You're going to shoot no matter what. And maybe that's the mentality. You know, the famous Kobe mentality was, you know, first playoff series, he missed like five straight shots, air ball, he was still shooting. And years later, they said, that's when we knew. Well, maybe that's when we knew Trey Young was not going to let the circumstances dictate to him. He was going to dictate to the circumstances. That's what LeBron hasn't done by some critics' assessment in his career. So you can't have it both ways. You either got to like it when LeBron doesn't do it, or you got to like it when Trey Young does it. You can't dislike both. Any other thoughts on the Knicks? Yeah, no, I think it's a good point. I, I want to see what his numbers are like for the rest of the series. Like, is he going to shoot the ball more? Is he going? Like, I would love to, and I'd love to see Vegas wise how they adjust that based on the emotions and all that. How does that impact point total over unders, so on and so forth with him? Well, I think the analogy would be Westbrook when he was going for the triple doubles, and it, it dra- where it was obvious he was going yeah. for the numbers, and yeah. it was it was adjusted drastically. Yeah. Um, I remember some over-unders on him that were at uh, like 37 at some point <laughs> with Westbrook, which is about as high as you ever see. So, oh, by the way, it's 95 degrees in Vegas. And yeah, fastest growing show on Fox Sports Radio. Let's do it, John. All right. And so we get into the talk of the NBA, and that is that Suns-Lakers series. Chris Paul banged up. Game three coming up later on tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern time on TNT. Series tied at one game apiece at Staples Center. The Lakers are a six-and-a-half-point favorite on pregame.com. So think about this. This is a little tidbit that wasn't obvious, in my opinion. This is the first Lakers playoff home game since 2013. Wow. Think about it. Last year in the bubble. So what does that mean? Does it mean the crowd gets more enthused? We know the Clipper crowd wasn't all that enthused. So even before they lost the games. Um, On the flip side, the Suns' first road game in the playoffs – Ever for all but Chris Paul, with obviously the injury questions with Chris Paul. Mackenzie, what are you seeing from the people you trust? If I, in one sentence, if you say Chris Paul's status, likelihood of affecting the game, how would you assess it? Sports books are worried about him. No props available anywhere for Chris Paul that we could find. I right, know that's interesting. That's a sign of total uncertainty because 
typically they would say, okay, typically we might have 20 as the over-under. I'm just you know throwing a round number out. Maybe we make it 16 here or 14. They're saying they have no idea by not putting these numbers up. Yeah, and I th- I saw that he's not a game time decision. He is going to be available to play. So there's you know they're not playing the whole well you know what if game. As is of he right on the now. injury report? No, everything I've seen is that he's ready. <laughs> I to think go. probable. I saw. Did you see McKenzie? Yeah, listed as probable. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. it seems like in a way I think this is discouraging to the Suns. And I'm sorry to interrupt, Jonas, but the idea that if they know he's going to play. But the fact he's so hindered they won't put up a prop on it means it's a kind of injury that might linger, it sounds like. He can play, but it's going to like limit him. I don't think the Suns can do much if he's limited over the long term. And the odds on this title have been downgraded drastically just in the last 24 hours. So, Mackenzie, what was it? What is it? Suns to win the title. Oh, we got it up on the screen. 18 to 1 yesterday. All right, so they weren't the favorites, but they were in that second tier, thirty to one wow. today on the Suns winning the title. The betting market's saying pessimism about Chris Paul. Yeah, I almost wonder if if you were to ask the Suns, if you were to ask Monty Williams, would you rather know that Chris Paul was going to be a hundred percent, or would you rather know he's not playing at all? Because, or, meaning, and what I mean by that is, would he rather just know going into this? Yeah, he's just not going to play. Or is he okay with the idea of, I'm not sure what I got. I'm going to have him for the first four minutes and and gauge him from there. And then I'm going to have to make in-game adjustments. I just wonder if he would rather have him out completely as opposed to throwing him out there and getting, you know, half, if that, of of, uh, Chris Paul the entire game. Well, on one hand, you could say it's a free roll to have him available because you put him out there. If he plays okay, great. If not, you yank him in and you don't have to use him. right? But I do think in this one case, maybe it's not better to have the uncertainty, even if there's an upside, because this is a discombobulating experience playing your first road game against the defending champion Lakers, against the player of the century, LeBron, in the playoffs, first road game, and daddy... That's Chris Paul in this case. Doesn't feel well. He's not hung over. He got hurt on the. He got hurt at work. And Daddy's sitting in the chair. He's saying, "Boys, you got to take this one." It seems like I. Let's just say this: We loved the Suns at twelve to one. We cashed a big ticket. So did a lot of you to win the division. One of the reasons we liked that was we didn't think the Lakers cared that much. We didn't, and we knew LeBron and AD. More AD these days are prone to injuries, though LeBron lately has been a little bit more. And also, we didn't think the Clippers cared. It's the opposite now. To whatever degree the Suns were better than the Lakers and the Clippers in the regular season, now it switches where, okay, you get the intrinsic quality of the players, but now it's LeBron time. To some degree, it's AD time, and it's not Chris Paul time, because I'll be candid, he does tend to get hurt every playoffs. Is it a coincidence? Maybe. Let's talk Anthony Davis. We're straight out of Vegas. This was from NBA.com. Very insightful stat here. How has Anthony Davis done with the Lakers in the playoffs when they won the game and when they lost the game? And you're going to say, well, typically one of the best players, if he doesn't play well, they're going to lose. Yeah, this is pretty extreme. So 17 wins, six losses in Anthony Davis's career with the Lakers in the playoffs. He scores seven less points when they lose, okay? Less rebounds. The assists are less than half, 4.2 to 1.8. His field goal percentage is 58% in the wins, Anthony Davis, below 50 in the losses. 
Here's the key. Three-pointers. Three-pointers, 45% when they win, 20% when they lose. Wow. This guy can shoot them out of a game. And in the games they've lost, his plus-minus has been minus 10 points per game. So it's they've been losing when he's on the floor. Anthony Davis... More than half the time is a contributes to winning in a great way for the Lakers, but six times they lost. He's not only not delivered the win; he's caused in many ways the loss. Is he worth more to the spread than LeBron? And if not, how close are they? That's fascinating because there's a couple ways to look at it. One way is if you just have one of them, who would you prefer? And at this point, you could probably say Anthony Davis. Because he's going to be able to take a team on his back more yeah. than LeBron can. But if you're going to have both of them, and then the, if the question is zero or one, I think it's Anthony Davis. If the question is two or one, I think taking LeBron away hurts more. Because Anthony Davis by himself, you know, I, I think LeBron is a facilitator at this stage yeah. of his career, and having AD means a ton to him. Uh, you know, so it, it's a complicated question. I think it's fairly close. Now, now you got to add in LeBron as a leader, LeBron as a floor general. Obviously, AD's got more physical skills now. My gut feeling is it's circ- it's based on the circumstance, but it's going to be mighty close. Yeah, and I do, I don't think LeBron at this stage is capable of those you know 50, 55 point games that we've seen him put up from time to time where he's just dominant. Um, I, I do think Anthony Davis is, though. And, and that's, yeah. why I, that's why I wondered, and, and I think you were right, if you're just going to have one, I think it would probably be Anthony Davis. Now, I, I'm going to caveat that with one other thought of nuance. It matters if the Lakers were favored or dogs. If the Lakers are seven-point favored, I want LeBron because he's not going to hurt you. LeBron rarely hurts you. I'm not a LeBron guy, but he rarely is going to hurt you. Right. AD can hurt you. So if, you, if you're a 10-point underdog... I want Anthony Davis because I want those high-variance, great performances. If you're a 10-point favorite, I think you take the slow and, or the steady, above-average but not great LeBron, is, you're going to still win the game. And also, when's the last time LeBron had a bad game? Like, I can't yeah, recall a time. Point. And, yeah. and, and Anthony Davis just had one in game one. So, but, you, but you'd have to go a long ways back to actually find a, a bad game of LeBron James, especially in the postseason. Yeah, I think he can do so much, right? He can rebound. He can yeah. assist. If, he's not, if his shot's not there, he's going to do other things. Anthony Davis tends to just keep shooting, it seems like. And, you know, you kind of like that, but it doesn't help all that much against a team you can beat by just having a middling performance. So, by the way, to wrap up this, uh, the game, Suns at Lakers, as we said, first playoff game at home for the Lakers since 2013. The series tied 1-1. Right now, the Lakers are 74% chance, 74% to advance, minus 325, plus 250 on the Suns. 100 wins you 250, 26%. And the title odds, let's get an updated title odds, McKenzie. The Lakers are plus 375, second favorite. The Suns are 30 to 1. They're the eighth favorite. Okay, and when it comes to the rest of the favorites, so Lakers are second favorite. The Nets are first? Yes, the Nets are plus 180. Lakers plus 375. Then there's a three-way tie. Sixers, Bucks, and Jazz, all 7 to 1. I will say this, Jonas, is, and we'll talk about it in the next segment, the Bucks 
are getting a lot of attention from the sharpest analytical people. Yeah. There was questions about the Heat, how they'd respond. Game one obviously wasn't great. But, boy, what we saw in game two, a lot of people saying that they think Milwaukee should be the favorite in the East. Now, some of that feels contrary because the Nets have looked so good. But if you look at the advanced analytics in the entire NBA in the playoffs so far, it's Nets one and it's Bucks two. And I think a lot of casual fans don't look at Milwaukee as so competitive, but the analytics guys certainly do. Yeah, no, they looked really, really good. And, and that game two was was just a complete wipeout. And, and to still win game one when they shot as poorly as they did, as we talked about, was impressive. Um, I, I actually had a question for you, and I, I don't even know if this is available anywhere, but I'd be fascinating when it comes to the Chris Paul, just last thing on the Lakers Suns. So Mackenzie had mentioned that there's no game props on Chris Paul that are available right now. Mm-hmm. Can you live wager? Do Does any place offer live uh, game props on players? Like, if you knew Chris Paul two minutes in looked better than he did game one, would a, would a book throw up some in-game props on him, or is that just too uh, too much to, to go into? Mackenzie, are you? I have not seen that. Have you? Yes, they do have live player props available, but only if they already had the live player prop pregame. Oh, okay. In my, in my, that I've seen. Okay, that's interesting. But see, typically you're not going to have someone not have a live player prop that anyone's going to care about in game. I do think Jonas makes an interesting point, which is in game. Now, I will say this, and this is always the difference between the algorithm and a human element. If Chris Paul's number were, let's say, 16, so down a little bit, but not down too much, saying, hey, he's not 100%. If he looked great to start with, they're going to reevaluate their assumptions and make a more drastic change. Yeah. But the algorithms don't know how to do that. And that's one of the ways you can beat in-game betting. The algorithm is going to look at 10,000 situations similar and do what it's supposed to do. But maybe there's something specific about this situation that's different. In this case, injury in the eye test on the health. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Day or night, click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Straight Out of Vegas here on Fox Sports Radio. I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. He is the voice of Vegas, RJ Bell. All right, we'll take our final break. When we come back, this is fascinating. Heat play the Bucks tonight. The Heat are underdogs in the game but they're favorites in the first half. This is a Vegas secret that tells you a lot about the NBA playoffs. He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Right out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. What's up, everyone? It's me, three-time NFL All-Pro Sean Murray, and I have a new sports podcast called the Lights Out Podcast with Sean Murray. This podcast is special to me as I get a chance to talk to some of the best who've ever done it on the field or the track. So whether it's talking to a Super Bowl champion or a NASCAR Cup Series champion, the Lights Out Podcast will bring it to you the only way I know how to. I'm giving you the best insight from the best who've ever done it. Listen to Lights Out with Sean Murray on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. I 
I'm RJ Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. And RJ, we've got three games in the NBA playoffs tonight. The final one to tip off is the Nuggets at the Trailblazers, 10.30 Eastern time on NBA TV. That series tied at one game apiece. But it's Portland, a three-and-a-half point favorite on pregame.com. You know, there's a couple things if you're a Blazers fan, and I kind of jumped on the Blazers after the first game thinking, okay, Murray's not there. We're seeing it for reality in the playoffs. Check this out. This is concerning if you're a Blazers fan. In the last game, the Blazers hit 16 three-pointers, and they shot over 48% on threes. So if you take out the bubble, because the bubble was a whole different thing, shooting was great and whatever, and you go back to 1984, so we're talking decades and decades and decades in the NBA, there were 34 prior times a team hit 16 threes and shot 48% or more on threes, like the Blazers. In those 34 games outside the bubble, the team won the game 33 times. 33-1 and one by making that many threes and shooting that decent percentage. You know, 48% is more than decent from three. When you lose a game in a spot you're 33-1 and one, as a league, that is a concern. Lillard got 42, still lost the game. The only thing that makes me think maybe Denver is the idea that they had a season high in turnovers of 21. So that's something there's some luck to, some flukiness to. And amazingly, when it came to fewest turnovers per game, they had the best regular season, the Blazers, of any team since 1977. That's when turnover became a stat. So in the history of the NBA, the Blazers turned the ball over the least this year. But somehow they had 21 turnovers in this game. So that gives you some hope. But all in all, I'm kind of leaning more towards Denver because I don't think they can shoot much better. (laughs) And they still lost. The game that's tipping off, RJ, at 7.30 Eastern time, less than an hour from now on TNT. Milwaukee with a two-games-to-none lead on the road at Miami. And right now, Milwaukee, a a one-and-a-half-point favorite on pregame.com. This is pulling the curtain back in Vegas. This is an important concept. You must understand. This is a team down 0-2, playing at home in Game 3. This is the epitome of a must-win. Why? Well, if you're down 3-0, history says it's over. 2-1, hold and serve. And it's true. So, how is that shown in the line? One, the zigzag tells us a team that lost the last game has more motivation. If you lost two in a row, you have extra motivation. Because it's hard to lose three in a row and win a series. Okay. That's why the Bucks maybe are only a one-and-a-half point favorite. Meaning they are a one-and-a-half point favorite. Maybe it'd be higher otherwise. This is what's fascinating. Historically, if you take teams down 0-2 and bet them, then bet them in the first half, you've covered almost two-thirds of the time. So why the first half? It's because whatever edge there is being down 0-2 and the, the must-win, it's the crowd is super energized and the players are all hyped up. We got to do it. Effort, effort. And it works. Literally, Almost two-thirds of the time, they cover in the first half. But in the second half, those factors tend to fade away. All that energy at the front, actually, you want some energy at the end. It's kind of like the Super Bowl where they're tired and teams tend to come back that were you know, not the home team, not putting all that energy out like the Bucks here. 
So if you look at the line in this game, the line is saying in the game, it's the Bucks favored by one and a half. But for the first half, the Bucks are favored or are underdogs by one. So the Heat are favored by one in the first half. And for the game, Milwaukee is favored by one and a half. And Jonas, that shows without a doubt that the factor matters about high energy and teams down 0-2. And so if you like uh, Miami in the first half, you would tend to lean towards Milwaukee the second half. Yeah, well, I think the key here is if you like Milwaukee, bet them for the game. If you like the Heat, look in the first half. But here's the catch-22. Vegas never makes it easy. Because (laughs) back in the day when this thing did hit two-thirds, the line wasn't adjusted. You'd get the normal first-half line. Now it's being adjusted, so you've got to pay the penalty for shows like this telling everyone how to bet these things. (laughs) If you missed any of today's show, you can check out the podcast at 5. FoxSportsRadio.com. We are straight out of Vegas. Back tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 o'clock Pacific, right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas!